Oh, good evening. Thank you for picking that song. I just read that last verse out. We need not fear what lies ahead, nor anxious, nor be filled with dread. That's a little bit like me at the moment, so thank you for that song. And I hope the Lord can strengthen me to get through. I uh, started this sermon three months ago, originally, um, and there's probably wasn't many of you here at that stage, so I'm going to recap right from the start of it, but we'll be working a bit quickly at the start of it for the first two points and then slowing down on the third point. But um, it's entitled God's Dwelling Place and where he has been and where he is and where he will be. We all have a friend, one of those friends that seems to stick close to us, that throughout our whole life we, we've never sort of separated. Maybe we've moved apart geographically but we know that if we bump into them or run into them or meet up with them we pick up where we left off they uh, they're just that ultimate friend and tonight I want to talk a little bit about the ultimate ultimate friend the one who sticketh closest closer than a brother as Proverbs 18:24 says if you can turn with me now to Psalm 27 Chapter 27, verse 4 and 5. I just want to start with a, an opening passage here and we'll be jumping around a lot tonight. So have your fingers quick and ready to turn around. But Psalm chapter 27, <clears throat> verses 4 to 5. <clears throat> it says there in chapter, uh, verse 4, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, he shall set me upon a rock. In the psalm David is longing to dwell with God. It is his one desire to be with God in his house and to get to know him more and more. David knows that when he is close to God, he is safe and God will protect him. I want to look through different scripture passages tonight throughout and go through earth's history and look how God has always wanted to dwell with man, to have a personal relationship with man and for man to glorify him in a perfect way by choice. Unfortunately, man has not always chosen to dwell with God, and we will see that, He's, and has turned away from him and tried to, turn, uh, to hide from him because of the sin that has come between. Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is perfect, and through all history you've wanted to dwell with us, Lord. Lord, please forgive us for not always being on that right path and letting sin come in. But Lord, we just pray that um, through the word tonight we might be encouraged to seek you out and keep you close, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would um, speak through me and be your words and not mine tonight. In wonderful and precious name, amen. You can turn with me to... Uh, actually, I'll skip through, as I said, the first two points fairly quickly. So you can turn there if you like, but Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. I won't be reading them out, but I'm going to skip fairly quick to the first two points. So we can get to the third. 
But in Genesis 3, 8, we see God's dwelling place is on earth with man. And here we start with God wanted to walk with Adam and Eve. God wanted to dwell with Adam and Eve. He wanted to have sweet fellowship with them and walk together through the cool of the day. God chose this time when it was peaceful and the business of the day was over and they could talk without having distractions of the day. I think this would have been a, a daily thing that occurred between God and Adam and Eve and man at this time. But unfortunately, at this time when it is mentioned in the Bible, it is a time that man has sinned and God knows full well what they have done and where they are. God is omnipresent and omniscient. But Adam and Eve thought God would not find them. And sometimes we judge them. We read this passage and we think, why would they even try? But don't we do the same thing to God when we sin? We avoid our prayer time. Maybe we avoid our devotion time. We don't get things right with the Lord. God, sin separated man and God and they no longer could dwell together on earth in this intimate way. This was a sad, sad time in human history, but God in his great love did not just exterminate man and start something new. And I think that if any of us were in control, that's probably what we would have done, but not God. He had endured and had a plan to save man and to regain a way of man to dwell with him. If you'd like, you can go to Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. And here we have Enoch, Enoch walked with God. Enoch actively sought to dwell with God in his life after Methuselah was born, at age about 65. Maybe God had shown him that once Methuselah was gone, the flood would come and how wicked the world was going to get by that stage over the next 300 years. Or more, sorry. The fact that everyone around him may have been falling into wickedness was driving him only closer to walk with God. And what an example that is to us today. He was walking so close to God that we know God took him to dwell with him in heaven. And that would be nice, but each one of us is here for a reason. God has a plan for us and he will take us in his time. It would not have been that life was easy for Enoch... It was that he wanted to serve God and walk with him in a wicked world because he loved God. Sometimes we may say that we would walk with God, or, and we will, but if our life was just a little bit easier, or maybe if we had this or that in our life, or if circumstances were different, I would walk close to God if things weren't so hard. But that's not what God wants. It doesn't matter the circumstances we're in. He wants to walk with us and to dwell, for us to dwell with him. If you'd like, you can go to Genesis chapter 6, verses 8 to 9, and then eight and 15, chapter 8 and verse 15, and also in 9, verses 1 to 8, we read about how Noah walked with God. And I apologise that I'm going fairly quick through these points, but I'll, as I said, we'll slow down on point 3. But here we have Noah. Noah was a just man in his day. Just as Enoch walked with God, Noah walked with God. God did not take Noah as he did Enoch because God had a reason for Noah to live on the earth, just as he has a plan for each one of us. And that was to build the ark and to save the human race from extinction due to the wicked state that it had got to. 
God wanted Noah to be involved and dedicated to his plan fully, and Noah certainly did so without compromise. Without compromise to the wicked world he was living in, he walked with God and carried out God's plan. Even though Noah did, not, uh, did sin at the end of his life, he got right with God and finished his race well before he went to dwell with God permanently. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 1 and also chapter 13 verses 4 to 18, we read about Abram and how he talked with God. Abram was another man that, was, that wanted to dwell with God and God said to Abram to pack up shop and move to a strange country and get out of your comfort zone. There wasn't more, much more instruction than that. And I think a lot of us would sort of gawk at that statement if we were told to do the same thing. We would stumble, we would fall, but not Abram. Abram listened and did as God said. Because he listened, God promised him something great in chapter 13, verses 14 to 18. And what a blessing can be received if we but dwell with God and obey what he has told us to do. Not asking why, like little children, but just doing what he wants us to do and following his leading. In Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 to 5, we have Isaac and how Isaac talked with God. The promise that God had given Abram continued on with Isaac, that he would make a great nation out of him. God talked with Isaac as he did with Abram, and he gave him an important instruction on where to go and where not to go. And because Abram listened, he received a great blessing and many provisions. In Genesis chapter 32, 24 to 30, we read there about how Jacob, Jacob sorry, wrestled with God. <clears throat> Jacob dwelt with God firsthand and actually wrestled with him. Due to Jacob continuing on, continuing on and not giving up, God blessed him and told him that he would have power with God and with man. And God gives us this same power in the form of prayer. It is the way we talk with God today and many times it's how God wrestles with us. And through the situations he puts us in and the the trials he puts in our lives, he tests us. We need to be consistent with prayer, in season and out of season, dealing with the sins in our lives and asking God to give us wisdom and power to live a godly life before man so that we may have power or influence in their lives to bring them to salvation. So these are faithful men who dwelt with God, and many more could be added to this list at this time in history. And next we go on to the second point, which is the next chapter in Earth's history in regarding how, to God, how God dwelt with man. And we'll look at how God dwelt in the tabernacle and the temple. In Exodus 13, verses 21 to 22, we see there that he was in the pillar of cloud and fire. God had chosen his people many years before and now he was bringing them into the promised land. He dwelt with them by leading them with a power at the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And what an awesome sight this would have been. 
First, we think of this cloud, this pillar of cloud. Most times when you see a cloud, it, it's normally across the horizon. You can sort of imagine this, this wouldn't have been any normal cloud. It was a pillar, up and down. And it didn't dissipate, it didn't rain down and, and disappear, but it continued on. And this was in the desert. Normally, with the heat of the desert, it would evaporate instantly. I'm letting my imagination run wild here, but we can imagine this would have been unnatural looking, not being moved with the winds and not disappearing into rain. It was a definite sign by God to lead his people. So was the fire. It didn't burn up and it was hanging there. I've seen a bonfire on the ground, but a fire in midair being sustained and moving. You can just imagine the the spies that different nations had sent out. What's these millions of people wandering around the desert for? And then seeing this and then following this, they would have realised and the fear would have been put into the nation from that point on. I know I would have had fear from then on, seeing this nation and the power that, that, that was before them. God, And maybe we sort of think, oh, I wish God would lead me like that. I know I'm pretty blunt with subtle hints, just ask Mel. And sometimes I wish there was a fire that would, would uh, show me the way. But there is. God leads us with a very clear, definite sign today as well, in the form of his word. And it's only when we are not in his word and dwelling in it that we lose our way in this life. So just as Israel had this magnificent um, directive, we do too through the word. Also in Exodus chapter 19, verses 17 to 19, you can read that while I go through this, but we see in Mount Sinai, God spoke. And again, his presence was here. What an awesome sight this would have been to see a whole mountain of fire, like a furnace, not just a tree or a bushfire or grass on fire, but the actual earth and rocks themselves glowing like a red hot furnace. God had warned them not to touch the mountain earlier, lest they die from his glory. But I think just the heat alone would have been enough to keep everyone clear of this mountain. The believed Mount Sinai um, was 2,285 metres high. I don't know what the base starts at sea level, but to put that in perspective, Mount Bogong is 1,986 metres high. So we can just imagine the awesomeness of this event. I remember um, Chris had a bonfire many years ago, for, I think it was for a birthday party at his farm, and he sort of kept adding to this bonfire slowly. It wasn't just sticks, it's whole trees, and he kept adding it with the, the front end loader and sort of he was storing it up for a special occasion. I, think, I can't remember whose birthday it was, but this thing was about as big as three or four houses put together. And when we lit it up, there wasn't any toasting marshmallows near it. You had to stand way back at the edge of the paddock and sort of just go like that and warm yourself. But we can only imagine, that's only a, 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 my imagination running off again, but imagine this mountain and the glory that was coming from this, the event where God's presence was. God's presence has always been seen in Scripture as an awesome sight to behold. In most cases, humans could not even look directly at it due to its intense shining glory when Moses came back after dwelling with God his face shone with absorbed glory from being in the presence of God 
And he wore a hood to stop the people seeing the glory slowly disappear as he was with them. We too should come before the throne of grace with this reverence and understanding of how awesome God is. The God that wants to dwell with you and with me. Lowly sinners. Hopefully we shine in this wicked world due to being in the presence of God continually through prayer and in the reading of his word. And again... As I said in the last point, it's only if we don't have this continued fellowship with God that we will stumble and fall in life. And most importantly, or the most sad part, is then we will not be a shining light to the world around us. If you want to have a look in Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> Here we have the tabernacle built for God to dwell. Or dwell in. God was very detailed in his instructions on how to build and assemble the tabernacle in the following verses. God's presence was going to dwell with Israel in the tabernacle, and this was God's want to be with his people. God was a God of order, and everything in the tabernacle had to be just so and as God had, in, had instructed. I believe this highlights the importance that God puts on keeping our current tabernacle in order, which we will talk about later on. We are to keep it clean and pure with the utmost care and diligence so God can dwell within us. In Exodus 40 verses 34 to 38, we see so the tabernacle has been put together. They've been assembling the parts and when you read through it, it isn't a quick process. It was so detailed. Everything had to be just so. And um, it would have been the best construction plan ever. Today you get a construction plan and you think, well, this is all gibberish, but not this. The construction plan for the tabernacle was perfect, detailed to the very nth degree. So they would got all this to get together and we see God's glory filled the tabernacle. After the construction of the tabernacle, Moses put all the parts of the tabernacle together outside the camp. It was now ready for God to come into the tabernacle and fill it with his glory. God, God abode with Israel, and this word is transliterated Shekinah glory. Moses himself was then not able to enter into the tent of the congregation due to God's great and powerful glory filling it. When the cloud or fire moved away from the tabernacle, this meant it was time to move and Israel would pack up and follow God's presence. It's not, it not, <clears throat> it not always that we just settle in the same old routine. It's a good example for us. We won't just, um, sorry, it's a great picture for us in this life. God sees fit. He will want to move us and for, him, for us to do his will. We don't just settle into the old same routine, day in, day out, week in, week out. And maybe we do that with ministry. We say, oh, got a kids club again, end of the week, better go deal with these lovely kids. If that's our attitude, we may as well just stay at home. We need to understand this is God's work. This is God's will. We need to be filled with um, um, excitement that we are able, and be able to participate in God's work. That he would choose us. But maybe there's other things that he wants us to do. Maybe go on a mission trip. Maybe start a new ministry within the church. 
And when I say that, not just suggest a ministry, but start a ministry yourself. Maybe it's going to visit those in need, the elderly, encouraging them. Maybe it's even becoming a pastor or a missionary ourselves. The most important thing is to be faithful and ready to do God's will and to follow him wherever he wants at any time. Just as Israel was ready to go when the presence moved. <clears throat> In 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 to 11, we, see, we saw God's glory filling the tabernacle. Now we see God's glory filled the temple. The people of Israel now were in the promised land and Solomon had built a beautiful temple for God to dwell in. The priest went and brought the ark from the tent that David had pitched for it and brought it into the inner sanctuary of the temple. The staves or the, the um, <clears throat> sticks that they carried on were pulled out enough to be seen out in the holy place before the oracle, so to be a reminder of God's faithfulness to them during these four, 40 years of discipline. The priest went out and again the Shekinah glory of the Lord filled the sanctuary with the, with, the cloud so that, with the cloud so that the priest could not even enter in. The sins of the people had caused the presence of God to leave the tab tabernacle, but the Lord had mercy and a grace as we see through all history and came and dwelt with his people again. But unfortunately we know later on Israel rebelled and again the presence of God would leave. And again, I remind you, before you judge, that we are no different to the people of Israel. We go through this life as Christians, walking and talking, getting close to the Lord, and sometimes we think we've arrived, and then we fall. And it's when we're not in his word, when we're not getting right with repentance, and not getting back with that relationship with God and dwelling with him, that we stumble away from God. It's never that God walks away from us. It's our sin that brings the separation between. So we see how God wanted to dwell with men through leading them through the wilderness and dwelling in the tabernacle and temple. And the next time God's presence was going to dwell with men was through his son, Jesus Christ. So now we're up to where we ended last time. It's very hot up here. <clears throat> So now I'll slow down a little bit and we'll actually look at these passages. And if you've got a bulletin, you can um, start filling out the fill-outs as well. So you can turn to Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. So we can see that God wanted to dwell through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus sent, was sent to earth to dwell with man. I'll read verse 21 to 23 of Matthew 1, chapter 1. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now this was done, all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted, which being interpreted is God with us. <clears throat> the promise of a saviour coming through the line of David was going to be fulfilled just as the prophet had said God keeps his promise, promises in his time and when it sits, fits his timeline 
This saviour was to save his people from their sins. He was born of a heavenly father and of an earthly mother, but was born sinless and never sinned through his whole life. This was the only way that man could be saved from the pit of sin that he'd got himself into and that we get ourselves into. In John chapter 1 verse 14 it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we behold his glory, the glory of <clears throat> the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Just imagine the word coming to life before those who had been looking for the Messiah, the one who was full of grace and truth, and how excited that would they would have been. We look back to those wonderful we look back to that wonderful time and celebrate it at Christmas time and remember what, that God wanted to dwell with us and provide a way of salvation for us. And as the world tries to destroy Christmas and what it means through focusing on uh, maybe giving gifts and um, presents and, and celebrations or like the Muslims trying to ban Christmas altogether, we need to use this time and... Um, Show the world that it was a time where the, that Jesus wanted to dwell with us on earth. He humbled himself. He was in the presence of the Lord, the Father. And he came down to earth to dwell with us and to, be, and to do his ministry on earth. You can turn to John chapter 2. In reading verses 19 to 22. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. <clears throat> In this passage, Jesus had just cleansed the temple out due to the wicked thieves that were there ripping off those who came to the Passover to worship God. The Jews asked for a sign. Since he had done this crazy event, they were sort of asking, Who are you to do this? And Jesus gave them the answer. He said, Destroy this wonderful temple and I will build it again in three days. And he could have physically, but he wasn't talking about the physical structure. That was before them. The Jews missed the meaning totally and thought he was talking about the temple itself. Even the disciples did not get what he was saying until his death on the cross actually happened. But what an awesome, loving, perfect God we have that would come to dwell with us on earth only to suffer through his whole ministry to us and then to be given at the end of it as a perfect sacrifice so that one day we might be saved if we believe in his name. This was the only way that God could restore the fellowship between him and man that had been broken from the first sin of Adam and Eve. So we've looked at, uh, we go into the next point now, where God dwells within the believer, the true believer. We can turn over to John chapter 16 and read there verses 7 to 11. John chapter 16 verse 7 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will prove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So here we can see that Jesus must go so the Comforter will come. Our wonderful Saviour had risen and had conquered death and the grave and now his earthly ministry was done. The disciples did not want the Lord to go anywhere but to dwell with them right there and keep showing them the way to live. But the Lord's plans were different. He said that he, he must go so that the Comforter would come and start the ministry to the lost and sinful world. He was coming to reprove the world of sin, righteousness and of judgment. This was all to be done through the church that was to start at Pentecost and then the believers of the church would go out and do the work of the Comforter. Sometimes we pray that the Spirit goes and does all the work for us. Sometimes we think, no, the Holy Spirit has to do everything. There's nothing we can do. And that's true in a way. But the Spirit works through the church, just as Jesus had a physical body to be able to do his ministry on earth. In Romans 10.14, it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? It's a great privilege to have the Holy Spirit within believers. This is where he is dwelling now. He dwells within us if we are truly saved. What a privilege that is. Now we need to be ready and willing to go out and be used by him and to do his work. And we'll look further at this in the next point. You can go to 1 Corinthians verses, uh, chapter 3, verse 16. We'll see here how true believers are now the temple of God. We were talking about that earlier on, about the temple and the tabernacle, but now the true believers are the temple of God, the dwelling place of God. In verse uh, 16 it says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the, temp the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If you go over to chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, it says there, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Today the believer is the temple of God. What an awesome privilege, as I was saying before, a privileged position to be the temple of God and have God's spirit dwelling within us. As we look through the times of the tabernacle and the temple, things were not near as easy and care had to be taken to set it up just so <clears throat> to much precision and detail that God wanted. I think this highlights how we should keep our temple, which is our body, where do we take this temple? What do we talk about with this temple? What do we do when no one else is around with the temple? God was very detailed and serious about his temple 
And this has not changed today. The location of the temple has changed, but not the importance of it. For we are bought with the price of our Lord Jesus Christ going to the cross to suffer punishment for our sin for all eternity. We need to remember this, the, the awesome privilege we have to have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us if we are true believers. We need to remember when we are tempted that we cannot do that anymore. We are dead to sin. As we were talking in the, in the sermon this morning, sanctification in all these different areas. We can no longer sin. We are dead to that. And the Holy Spirit is within us and we should not grieve the Holy Spirit. If you go over to Ephesians chapter 2, read a few verses there. <clears throat> chapter 2 and verse 19 through to 22. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. <clears throat> so the church is now the habitation of God. God's spirit indwells us as individuals, but also as a collective, which is the church. Paul wanted to emphasize the unifying work of Christ. The Jews and Gentiles were to dwell together with Christ in the church and be fitly framed together to be the habitation of God through the spirit. This was not always an easy thing and it's not an easy thing today with the gentiles now being added to the church it was hard for the israelite the israel jews but when we think about this and how they sort of were a bit standoffish and and at first didn't want to go to them do we not do we do the same thing do we go out and reach out to all who are lost or do we have a preference on who we talk to at work at school Maybe it's the school bully that you need to go and give the gospel to. That might be hard and you might not think that he deserves it, but all of us deserve help. But he needs the word. That person that is just filthy at work with their speech that is constantly putting maybe you down as a Christian, they need to be saved as well. We, don't, we should not have a preference of who we give the gospel to. And this will build. We need to add and build to the church. God loves all and wants all to come to know him. Also, how do we get along with those in the church who are saved? Are we building them up or are we tearing them down? This is the habitation of God. And if we think of it as a, a physical building, as I'm a bit more practical-minded. If you've got white ants in a building, you're not going to start ripping it all out Think, oh, there's one ants, it's all damaged, we rip it out, treat for ter termites, and then go, job done. You've got a gaping big hole in the wall. It's just going to destroy the rest of the building. The weather's going to get in, all the animals or insects, and it's going to destroy the whole building. So how much more so should it be in the church? As individuals, you're not just going to go rip them apart and leave it be. 
We should, with care, disassemble that wall or that Christian and help them rebuild. And you make it so it looks as new. It looks, it looks as though the Temites were never there. Matthew 18, 20, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I are in the midst of them. This is the habitation of God we're talking about here. We need to treat it with as much care as we can. We need to pray for each other and build each other up for the habitation of God on earth. That brings us to our last point. Where God, God's dwelling place is in, will be in the new heaven and earth. And tack on that, because I studied it a little bit more, and city. I forgot to add that in the bulletin. But if you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Here we see that saved saints are to dwell with God in the clouds. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, reading verses 16 to 18. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. <coughs> so we've seen up to now how God has always made an effort to dwell with man on the earth. And this does not change, but now God is taking man up to the clouds to go to be with him in heaven and to dwell with God. We can have great comfort in knowing that those who were saved and have passed away will be dwelling with God and their physical bodies will be reunited with their spirit at this time. And I think that's very relevant this week. We can comfort the Philbys with these words. Their mum believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. She knew the Lord Jesus Christ. And they need to get saved so that one day they will not only see their mum, but they will be with the Lord Jesus Christ and dwell with him. The Lord himself will come down and take us home. Home where there is no more sin and temptation. Home where we can serve God with a perfect heart. Home where there will be no more tears. Home where there is no more sadness. What a perfect comfort we have to comfort one another with. We can be so glad that at this time we are taken, for we know what is to follow. God's timing is absolutely perfect, and we've seen that through all history. He's perfect, and the way he reaches and dwells with us is perfect. And to say that we'll be taken halfway through the tribulation, or at the end, or there is no tribulation, and that will bring in the millennium, is to just throw away God's planning and his perfect timing. It's to just push it to the side as though it had no relevance to us. And that's a bad position to be in. We go to Revelation now, chapter 21. And we're going to look here at God dwells with his people in the new heaven and earth and tack onto that city. Reading verses 1 to 4 of chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. 
and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and he shall be and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall, there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. <clears throat> we are a very blessed people who are saved in this time of grace, and we will not go through the tribulation. But there will be those who are saved throughout the tribulation and they will be tested and tried by fire and persecution. These verses will be of great comfort to them. As they go through the millennium as well, God will be with them on earth, we know, but at the end of the millennium, again, they are faced with a great multitude that rebel against God. It's a sad thought to think that even with God's presence on earth, what man does, how man still rejects and doesn't want to dwell with God. It just highlights God is making the effort constantly to dwell with us. But unfortunately, our human nature rejects that. This is a sad thought and should provoke us to reach out to the lost. And I'm sure that in the millennium, those who are truly saved will be begging for those who are born in the millennium and, and start following Satan when he is released. They'll be begging them, don't, don't go and follow Satan. Dwell with God. But we know that a multitude will follow him. We can see that um, all around us, creation is groaning for this time when we know that the, the, the earth will be uh, renovated as such after the tribulations. And that will be the millennium period. But at this time, it'll be completely re renewed. God will renew the earth and heavens and then transport the best prefab city you've ever seen. It's pretty impressive when you see a, a prefab building coming down the highway, taking up all the lanes. You know, most times it's split in half and they put it together when they get there. But this is a whole city, not transported down the highway, but straight down, airlifted in onto Jerusalem. Again, my imagination runs wild but not just a building but a whole city that we couldn't even imagine we can't imagine the glory it's described for us in the following chapter but the glory i don't believe we can fully comprehend this will be god's dwelling place with man on earth verse three and four goes on to describe the bliss of this time there will be no more tears there will be no more death no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All this will be old news and then heaven and earth will be at perfect peace with God, dwelling with man. We can see through all the history, this was God's perfect plan from the start, to dwell with man and have a perfect relationship with him. This is what he's always wanted. So in summary, are we dwelling with God now? As we've seen, he has always wanted to dwell with us and has always made a way for us to dwell with him. It's only our sin that separates us. It's only our choice to not deal with sin and repent of it. And finish with that thought um, that um, 
that story of the man walking with God along the beach. There's two footprints. The man looks back and sees that there's only, at one stage, there's only one set of footprints. He said, God, you, you left me. What were you doing? You just let me alone. And then God said, no, that's when I was carrying you. God has always made a way for us to dwell with him. It's only us that lets the sin separate that relationship. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, Lord, you have always wanted to dwell with us, sinners, unclean, wretched. Each one of us, Lord, are deserving of hell for all eternity. But, Lord, in your loving kindness, you sent, you sent your son to die for us on the cross. We thank you for that, Lord. And, Lord, please help each one of us to consider these things. In your wonderful and precious name, amen.